Bible app, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There are also some Bibles in the back. You are welcome to those if you don't have a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or you can listen along if you prefer. We've been studying this letter from the Apostle Paul. This morning I just thought I might sum up a little bit of what we've seen and apply it to what we're celebrating today. So today is not really an unpacking of a particular passage like we would normally do. I'm going to primarily focus on one verse and just sort of use that, if you will, as a jumping off point to gather some threads together and really try to envision us. I I hope this morning encourages you and envisions you for what we're about and why. So let me pray for us, and Alan will read our our brief passage. Spirit of God, we ask you to fill us even now. Open the eyes of our hearts. Let us be freshly encouraged and freshly envisioned by you this morning, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And I... When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Word of the Lord. Thank you, Alan. It was the German atheistic philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche who first coined the phrase, Eugene Peterson later popularized it, but it was Nietzsche who said it first. The phrase goes like this, a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. I think a 10th anniversary celebration is a good moment to think about that phrase, because isn't that what we want? A long obedience, a long faithfulness, a long fruitfulness in the right direction, the best direction. Isn't that what you want personally in your own life? If you're single or married, young person, teenager, isn't that what you want personally? A long-term faithfulness, long-term fruitfulness, running the race all the way to the end. A long obedience in the same direction. The question is, how? What will help you do that? How will you do that and how will we do that as a church? What will focus us and and sustain us and, and direct us like that for a long obedience in the best direction, the God glorifying direction? Well, I would propose verse 2, as a succinct answer. I would propose to you, verse 2 sums up what we've been about for 10 years and what we want to be about for the next 10 and beyond. Verse 2 reads, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's our summary strategy for a long obedience in the same direction. But I acknowledge 
it's kind of a strange statement. It's kind of odd, isn't it? So let's ask two questions. First, what does it mean? And then we'll ask why. First, what does this mean in verse 2? I decided, I resolved, I purposed to know nothing, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the brilliant Apostle Paul, a highly educated man, educated at the feet of the famous Rabbi Gamaliel. He knew many, many things, perhaps the greatest theologian in all of church history. He knew a lot. Why would he decide, why would he resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ crucified? Well, Gordon Fee is helpful in that regard. He said the apostle had the gospel, the good news, with its crucified Messiah as his singular focus and passion. That's what he means by knowing nothing else here. That this good news of a crucified Messiah It was his singular focus and passion. Singular focus and passion. But what does he mean, Jesus Christ and him crucified? We we need to be careful there. Because he does not mean just the cross of Christ and nothing else. He really means all of the gospel. All of what we call the good news. You see, the apostle is not playing theological Jenga here. Ever played Jenga? It's a rather fun, frustrating game. You pile up, you stack up in a nice, neat tower all of these little wooden blocks, and the purpose of the game is to pull out as many blocks as you can while keeping the tower still standing. The person who pulls out the block that brings the tower down loses. So you can pull out many of these blocks. The tower remains standing. You can't do do that with this gospel, this good news. You can't pull out a single piece and it remain good news for your soul. So just for clarity's sake, the good news includes Jesus' virgin birth, such that he is fully God and fully man. It includes his perfect life entirely without sin, perfectly obeying in your stead. It includes, yes, his sacrificial death on a cross, that he died there and was judged there as our substitute, taking our place in the wrath of God. It includes his bodily resurrection, his triumphant conquering of the grave, and it includes the fact that he ascended back to heaven where he reigns right now and from where he will return to make all things new. Friends, you can't play Jenga with that message. You can't take out one part and still have good news. You need every single part. So the apostle is talking about that entire good news, which does center on a crucified individual. And having your singular focus and passion be a message that centers on someone who is crucified in this day was was ridiculous, foolish. Execution by crucifixion was reserved for slaves and the worst of criminals in the Roman Empire. No one wore crosses 
around their neck as a piece of jewelry. No one decorated buildings with crosses. You didn't utter the word cross in polite company. Execution by crucifixion involved hanging there, impaled on a cross beam through your hands and feet, hanging there naked, perhaps for days, until you slowly suffocated to death. If you saw someone crucified, it would have turned your stomach. You would have wanted to vomit. You would have turned your head away. And yet, just before this, the apostle says, this is his boast. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In his letter to the Galatians, he said, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Boast in a crucified individual. Why? Why should that be? The good news with that center be our singular focus and passion as a church. Why, why resolve to boast in Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Why resolve to boast in this good news? Well, here's where I'm going to do a little jumping off point from that verse, gathering some things together that I hope encourage you and envision you. You see, this good news, first of all, it, it transforms us. And in this context, it transforms us for unity. It transforms our lives for, for unity. If you've been here for the last few sermons, you know that the church in Corinth had splintered into factions, but those divisions were really a symptom of a deeper problem, a deeper problem related to what the Corinthians were focused on and passionate about, namely man-made philosophies and being impressed with the oratory in which they're delivered. They said, tell me the latest fads and entertain me in the process. It's not unlike our day. And instead, by contrast, the apostle says, I, I came to you, Corinthians, with admittedly what is a foolish and weak message about a crucified individual. Why? Well, because this foolish message takes the world's priorities and stands them on their head. Because this weak message takes the values of this world and turns them upside down. That we are transformed into people who value humility and servanthood and sacrifice. And so are united together as a body. After a worldwide pandemic, and a variety of cultural controversies. Friends, isn't this what we need? This singular focus and passion. A message that transforms us like that. A message about God the Son leaving the worship of heaven that He deserves, taking on a human nature in addition to His divine nature to live as the God-man. That, that's humility. That's humility. He made himself the servant par excellence, like when you see him washing the disciples' feet, taking the role of a slave. It blew them away. 
and then making the ultimate sacrifice of himself, taking our place in judgment. Humility, servanthood, sacrifice, those are values that transform us by this gospel for real unity. I read how, I read how years ago, anthropologist Margaret Mead was asked what she considered the first sign of civilization in an ancient culture. First sign of civilization. Now, the student asking the question expected to hear they used fish hooks as the first sign of civilization, or, or they made clay pots as the first sign of civilization. But she didn't say that. She said the first sign of civilization in an ancient culture was a femur, a thigh bone that had been broken and then healed. Because if you break your femur in the ancient world, you couldn't run from danger. You couldn't get yourself to the river for a drink. You couldn't hunt for your own food. You were helpless. You were powerless. And you were vulnerable. But a healed femur in someone meant that someone else stayed with you and cared about you and served you. She said, that's where civilization starts. Really, that's what real humanity should look like. But what could transform a people to be truly human like that? To lovingly serve, even sacrifice for each other. To prefer others' interests. To prioritize others over ourselves to love each other even when we disagree. Only this good news does that. Only this good news has the power to do that, friends. It's in, it's in seeing Jesus. It's in beholding Jesus, 2 Corinthians 3 says. In beholding Him, you become more like Him. It's seeing Jesus Christ that transforms you, seeing His humility, seeing His servanthood, seeing His sacrifice, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit through this good news that changes us from within. Just as a reminder, if you have a relational difficulty with someone else here, and let's be honest, you will. <laughs> Sorry to inform you, you will. If you find yourself wanting to distance yourself from someone because they disagree with you, they're different from you, they vote differently from you, instead focus on this good news. Make this your singular focus and passion, seeing Jesus and becoming more like Jesus to join us together as we are transformed for unity. That's the first reason why from this passage. Here's the second reason. Secondly, the good news, the good news anchors us in God. It anchors us in God, in the knowledge of God. I acknowledge this is going to be a bit of an inference, but I, I think it'll be helpful and encouraging. This good news will anchor you in the knowledge of God himself. The apostle, when he says here in verse 1, I came proclaiming the testimony of God. That's the gospel, the good news. When he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that's the gospel, this good news. The word used for good news or gospel is evangel. That's the, the sort of Greek term 
meaning good news. Evangelist, where we get the term evangelical. Now, evangelical is not meant to designate a political special interest group. It's meant to designate a people who love the evangel, the gospel. And I share that because Fred Sanders, in his outstanding book, The Deep Things of God, he talks about how evangelical people, people who love the evangel, we can know God like no one else. We can know God as triune like no one else, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sanders imagines what he calls an ecumenical Olympic Games, where the various groups and denominations in the broader church compete against each other. It's kind of a humorous illustration. And he says in these ecumenical Olympic Games that the evangelical church, like ours, it really shouldn't go for the gold in things like stately liturgy. Now, Joshua's helped us here a lot, but, but stately patterns of worship are not an evangelical strength, typically. He said we wouldn't want to go for the gold in things like historical awareness. As evangelicals, we don't have a great sense of church history, usually. He said we shouldn't go for the gold in these Olympic Games, in what he calls sacramental saturation. Oftentimes, evangelicals downplay the Lord's Supper and baptism. He says we're, we're kind of like the Jamaican bobsled team. It's a, it's a nice try, but you're just not going to get gold in those categories. But Sanders says evangelical churches like ours, people who love the evangel, people who love the gospel, we should go for the gold in knowing God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because in this gospel that we love, we see the Father who loved us, who in love ordained this good news, who planned this good news, and who sent His Son as part of this good news. And in this gospel, we see the Son of God, taking on our humanity, fully God and fully man, obeying, dying, rising in our place. And in this gospel, we see the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit of God, sent by the Father and the Son to apply the good news to our lives and make us new creations in Christ. You see what I'm saying? When you love this good news, you come to know God as triune. Not only that, you come to know God's attributes, what He's really like. In this good news, you see God's holiness, that He is so holy, friends, so holy as to require His own Son to be our substitute. He is so just as to require such an awesome penalty for our sin. He is so sovereign as to order all of history toward this good news. And He is so merciful and full of grace and full of love that He sent His own Son for you and me. Do you see how when you make this good news your focus and passion, you know God as triune, you know what God is like in His attributes, and not only that, you know what we are like in relation to God, and that's also important. Herman Melville, the author of Moby Dick, he once said, quote, Heaven, have mercy on all of us. 
Presbyterians and pagans alike. For we are all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. How true. We're all somehow dreadfully cracked about the head and sadly need mending. No other message, friends, but this good news testifies to that reality. It shows us how desperate we are in need of mending and how we find that in Jesus. If you find yourself drifting spiritually, questioning spiritually, doubting spiritually, which, which, is not, which is not necessarily a bad place to be. It's a place where you can focus again on Jesus, where you can encounter again the God of the universe as triune, where you can have this singular focus and passion again to know what he's really like what you're like left to yourself and what he's done for you. If you find yourself adrift, friends, here's the message that will anchor you. And look, we will find ourselves adrift personally at times. When you do, come back to this verse. Come back to this focus and passion that will anchor you in reality about who God is and what he's done for you. There's one more reason why this good news, it, it anchors us in God, the knowledge of God. It, it transforms us for unity. And one more reason why the good news empowers us for faith. It empowers us for faith. Right after our verse, in chapter 2, verse 3, the apostle says the following. Chapter 2, verse 3. And I was with you, Corinthians, in weakness and in fear and, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So, so catch this. He resolved to know nothing among them, but Jesus Christ crucified, verse 2, he came not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit's power, verse 4. But what was that? What was that demonstration of the Spirit's power? Verse 5. So that your faith, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, the demonstration of the Spirit's power right then was the creation of their saving faith in Jesus. And same is true for us. The good news empowers faith to begin, and certainly by implication, the good news empowers faith to continue. Maybe you are like Becca, who shared, you've known Jesus for a long, long time. Wonderful. Or you're like Tim, who shared, and he's come to know Jesus recently. Wonderful. Regardless, you want always your faith resting not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So when your faith feels like it's wavering, when your faith feels small, 
Because the problems in life feel so big. Are you there right now? Faith feels tiny because the challenges in life are enormous. And you feel like that. Return to this focus, friends. Return to this passion. Accept no substitutes that your faith might rest in the power and wisdom of God in Christ alone. But maybe you're here and you'd say, in all honesty, I, I don't think I've experienced that power to believe on Jesus. What should you do? I'm not sure if you've, you've read the book Unbroken by Laura Hillenbrand or saw the movie, perhaps, based on the book. It's the story of Louis Zamperini. He was an Olympic track star in World War II. Zamperini's plane was shot down over the Pacific, crashed in the Pacific. He survived the plane crash. He spent 47 days on a life raft, drinking in rainwater, catching fish, being circled by sharks at times. Finally was rescued, but by the Japanese, who were his enemy at the time. He spent more than two and a half years in Japan as a prisoner of war. He was tortured during that time by his captors. Amazingly, he survived all that, returned home, got married. You'd think, end of the story, happy ending. But his life took a destructive turn. Out of all the trauma he'd experienced, he, he became an alcoholic. He was wrecking his marriage, wrecking his own life. He just couldn't let go of the rage, the rage he felt toward his former captors. He dreamt of returning to Japan and getting vengeance. And though he was free in one sense, he was still a prisoner, wasn't he? And maybe you relate to that right now. You're imprisoned by other things. It was only when he who was unbreakable was finally broken by Christ that he was truly free. He attended a Billy Graham crusade. He responded and believed on this good news and found peace in Christ. He put his faith not in the wisdom of men, but in the power and wisdom of God. Eventually, actually, he, he returned to Japan, met a number of his former captors, and in person forgave them. It's a wonderful, wonderful true story. The good news, friends, empowers faith in Christ like that. It, it breaks you. It breaks you from thinking you could ever be good enough to merit God's acceptance. It breaks you by showing your own sin and the God against whom you've sinned. And it breaks you with the love of Christ. Maybe that's what you need right now. It breaks you with the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. It breaks you with a love like none other. And so I would urge you to surrender to Christ yourself, to be, as it were, broken by this good news we're talking about. Trust in his life, death, and resurrection. Surrender to Jesus and trust in him like that, and you will find this peace, this joy, and this God who loves you. Friends, this is why we must resolve to boast. 
We must resolve to have this singular focus and primary passion, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It transforms us for unity. It anchors us in God and the knowledge of God, and it empowers us for faith. It will produce in me and you, it will produce in us as a church a, a long obedience in the same direction, a long faithfulness, a long fruitfulness in the right direction, the best direction. I want to close with the example of Martin Lloyd-Jones to that end. Lloyd-Jones was a famous British preacher in the 20th century. In 1977, he was an elderly man, and he referenced this verse, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. And he said that was the, the text he preached from when he first visited that church in 1926. So this is over 50 years later. He says, I preached 1 Corinthians 2.2 over 50 years ago. I'm going to preach it to you again 50 years later. And he said this. I call attention to my text, not merely for that reason but rather because it is still my determination. It is still what I am endeavoring to do as God helps me. And I call attention to it again because it is still the same. The good news is still the same 50 years later. Because I am profoundly convinced that this is what should control our every endeavor as Christian people and as members of the Christian church at this present time. Friends, may we be similarly convinced. We're 10 years in now. We're 10 years in. Let 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, let this still be our own determination as well, because this gospel will still be the same. This good news will still be the same, and it should control our every endeavor as a church as long as we exist. Let us resolve. Let us boast in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Would you pray with me, please? And I want to give you a moment to respond to the Lord, to respond to His love, to renew your focus, perhaps, by the help of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you feel like you've been drifting. Maybe you've been plagued with doubts. Maybe you've lost sight of what really matters because of the trials you're going through. Take a moment to ask the Spirit of God to help us regain this singular focus and passion to resolve to boast in Jesus Christ crucified. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for this good news. May it always be 
our singular focus and passion. Let us always be profoundly convinced that this is what should control our every endeavor as individuals and as a church because it will still be the same. You will still be the same. Grant us this resolve. Grant us this focus. Grant us this passion, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.